Welcome to Absence Management Perspectives, a DMEC podcast. The Disability Management Employer Coalition, or DMEC as we're known by most people, provides focused education, knowledge, and networking opportunities for absence and disability management professionals. DMEC has become a leading voice in the industry and represents more than 18,000 professionals from organizations of all sizes across the United States and Canada. This podcast series will focus on industry perspectives and provide the opportunity to delve more deeply into issues that affect DMEC members and the community as a whole. We're thrilled to have you with us and hope you'll visit us at dmec.org to get a full picture of what we have to offer, from webinars and publications to conferences, certifications, and much more. Let's get started and meet the people behind the processes. Hi, we're glad you're listening. I'm Heather Grimshaw with DMEC, and we're talking about the 2024 DMEC Virtual Mental Health Conference with DMEC subject matter experts. We have Brian Bass, DMEC CEO, Kristen Jones, DMEC's Director of Education Programs, and Jess Dudley, DMEC's Education Manager, with us today. So I'd like to get us started with a high-level takeaway from the group. Brian, would you kick us off, and then we'll ask Kristen and Jess to weigh in. Absolutely, I'd be happy to. Um, You know, the conference uh, this year, as we set out our very first approach to the virtual mental health conference was really to provide our attendees with some practical building blocks for designing successful health programs. And so we had focused areas on building the business case, creating a mental health friendly workplace, um, what type of accommodations might be appropriate for cognitive and mental health conditions, how you communicate the resources that are available in your program and ways to really look at continuously improving the program overall. And I would say that overall, every single one of those areas, I took something away. But I think it's always important to start with the business case and why this is so important uh, to our workforce today. And I think that early on when the conference started and we kicked off, you know, we learned that there's never been a more compelling business case for investing in mental health than it is now. We're seeing a significant amount of mental health challenges in society and in the environment. We're seeing our Surgeon General identifying that this is an, and something that needs to be addressed and we all need to be focused on. And I think that there's data that's demonstrating that to us as well. And some of that data was shared with us. And those are some of the key high-level takeaways that I I came away with, especially around this latest CDC and census poll survey data from October 2023 that estimates that there's now 34.2% of adults that have symptoms of anxiety or depression. And, you know, the number that we used to um, hang our hat on, if you will, is that you know, 20% of individuals um, are presenting with mental health challenges in the population. I think 34.2% versus 20% is a significant increase over what we had once seen. And it's now something that we need to ensure that we're focused on. And employers have more opportunity than any to have a significant positive impact on this area. In so much that In other surveys, 25% of employees are considering leaving their jobs, with many of them indicating that their job is negatively impacting their mental health, and that 84% of those workers report that they are looking for workplaces that support mental health. 
So I don't think it's ever been more evident than it is now that employees are recognizing that there are their job could be negatively impacting their mental health. And in those situations where it are where it is, and even if it isn't is not, when they're looking for a new job or a new uh, employer to join, the vast majority of them are looking for resources and workplaces that support their mental health. So that was that was the big key takeaway that I took away um, from the start of the conference. I'll jump in now because I think mine really dovetails really nicely where Brian kind of concluded his and, and maybe overlaps just a little, but, you know, really that evolution of the mental health conversation stood out to me. I mean, like Brian said, we, our program covered a lot of different areas and they all wove together really nicely, but also were separate and distinct, but all of them had a common thread about the shared responsibility of mental health. I think historically mental health has been looked at a little bit more, maybe mental health programs have been looked at a little bit more like we as the benevolent employer will help you with your mental health concerns and issues. And and it was very much an employee issue that because we want you to show up whole and healthy, we will support you in. And we've really seen that conversation change. And I think um, that was uh, really woven through the sessions about that that shared responsibility and not just like kind of a, a preaching that, but really an acknowledgement that that's where the conversation in workplace mental health has come. This, this is where we are. It has e- evolved to this and what that means for employers and how we look at workforce mental health, the the mental health of our employees in the workforce and also workplace mental health, um, the what we bring to that and the things we can do both proactively and reactively and just really understanding and, and accepting that the workplace contributes in a large way to an employee's mental health and and what to do with that responsibility. So it was encouraging to see that woven so strongly or organically through the content, but just at a high level that really stood out to me. Yeah, Kristen, I like how you talk about that shared responsibility as well, because that was one of the things that I noted. Um, It was that, and I think it was in several of the sessions, but it was that you can't pour from an empty cup. Um, So it was like a small reminder for to take care of you, you know, and then they mentioned a few simple things that you could do with that, like sleep and physical activity and practicing gratitude. But it was to make sure that your cup is full so that when others come to you and need assistance, you're able to have some leftover to then pour into their cup. I would actually jump on that just because I really like that you brought that up about the, when we had the conversation in that session about pouring from an empty cup and Something that honestly had never even occurred to me before as a practitioner, I guess I, I've always come from the, you have to be ready to help even when you're not feeling ready to help. And they really talked about kind of taking some ownership on if you haven't, if you aren't in a place where where you can be a help at that time, there are ways to approach that. There's conversations to be had. Like you don't have to basically make yourself a martyr. You can still provide resources and do it in a way that respects your boundaries and what you're able to do in that moment um, while still helping the employee. 
Um, but also the importance of making sure we are filling our cup so that we can be um, that helper. I don't know. That was kind of a light bulb moment for me and something that I was a practitioner for a lot of years and just never really considered that I could have boundaries in that role. Yeah. And I really appreciated, I can't remember which session it was, but they talked specifically about that. Like, how do you address that? Because, you know, it's an uncomfortable thing if you you want to help, but you, you're just not in a place to help. And I liked how they kind of walked you through that conversation of this is what it looks like. And, and this is how you could you know, perform what they, you know, quote unquote, a warm handoff, but make sure that that individual is getting the help that they need while still respecting, you know, you might not be in a place to be able to offer assistance. So you take care of you as well. So you're kind of taking care of everybody. One of the things I really appreciated was the fact that in addition to tackling high-level issues related to improving employee mental health, the conference featured employer case studies to bring the conversation full circle. And I'm hoping this group will talk a little bit about the variety of sessions and share an example of a speaker recommendation or maybe a resource that drove the point home that integrated absence managers should be part of this discussion. Sure. Um, I think Brian gave a a really good overview of kind of the content areas in his answer or his kind of conversation earlier, but, you know, just really enjoyed how the sessions explored all areas of an organization's mental health program. Um, and like you mentioned, Heather, the, the case studies from a couple different employers I felt were really powerful and, and helped illustrate. We also had on our Ask the Experts panel an employer represented there, which was really good and gave some good perspective. Um, I think one of my favorite things as far as a, a takeaway uh, or kind of a resource was, you know, we had a session on continuous improvement of our program, of our mental health programs. And that presentation deck came packed with more than 30 linked resources. I went back through and counted them afterwards, um, which in and of itself just sounds like, okay, great. Now we just have a bunch of resources plunked in front of us. That still feels overwhelming. But she really broke them down into different categories. So there were some resources around if you're trying to gather metrics to really measure your program, if you're trying to look at some organizational level items like employee engagement and how to help connect um, employees to their work and to their team in the organization or emotional intelligence. Um she gave resources kind of categorized by that. If you're looking for innovations in mental health and what's happening there, there were some resources provided around there. Um, Dr. Spangler also talked about some of the things that she has done with organizations in these different areas, but it was really helpful because I think we all know if you've done anything with a mental health program, it can be overwhelming. There's a lot of resources out there. I think the first thing is it's hard to narrow them down to what's going to really help in the workplace or with the workforce and what's going to resonate there, but then also how to find the right information, the right materials for what your objectives are and what you're trying to do. So I just felt like that's going to be such a downloaded deck and, and something that people keep because it really kind of groups and organizes and recommends some resources and then also dives into how to use them for the continuous improvement of um, a program. So I just, I love that as far as like a, a resource and something to take out there. And I think the more 
we are approaching the you know innovation of our programs, the continuous improvement of our programs in this way that is really strategic and thoughtful, I think that in and of itself keeps our seat at the table and and shows the value of this to our organization and what we bring um, to these programs. So I felt like that was really powerful. Yeah, I would agree, uh, Kristen. And I think that, you know, one of the things that we should take a moment to do is to take a step back and, you know, you, you everything that you highlighted is it, very much in tune with what I what I saw in my experience, but I like to take it back and take it down a little bit further and recognize that as absence and disability practitioners, you know we are one of the select few who have insight into an employee's medical condition. We're usually the first to know if someone is struggling with a mental health condition, either as their primary condition or a secondary condition. And to that end, you know, it's our, I feel it's our responsibility to ensure that we know what resources are available that are provided as part of our benefits program to our employees. Because once we're armed with that, then we can demonstrate and show compassion by highlighting the resources that employer, these employees can use to support their overall well-being. Many employers, as we were in the roundtables and I was seeing things happen, comments happening in the chat, were sharing that the the information that they include um, in their absence request packets on EAP resources and maybe apps that are available and just all the different types of resources that are available. And not that it was just specific to mental health, but just looking at well-being overall. I think one of the big things that I took from one of the sessions was around stigma. And that, you know, we continue to perpetuate stigma when we separate mental health from other well-being. Well-being is the whole person. It's not just mental health. It's not just your physical well-being. It's not your financial well-being. It's a whole. And so I think we, we need to take a step back and we need to recognize that. We need to make sure that we're providing the whole wholeness aspect, the holistic approach to the resources and uh, that are available to employees and to highlight those in the moments that matter. And these moments that matter are when employees are out on leave, they're having a, a difficult uh, time or situation, whether it's being a caregiver or it's taking care of themselves or they have a new child. There's a variety of different reasons folks are on leave. And there are so many different resources that are available, so much so that it becomes a very fragmented. And I hear from many employers and employees alike that, it's becoming increasingly complex to even know where to go based on your specific situation. So to that end, I think that we have an opportunity to be that navigator, to be that beacon or that or that um, lighthouse to help employees get to the resources that are going to be at the most benefit to them at the, in their time of need. Great points. Thank you. And then last but certainly not least, Jess, would you please weigh in? So diving right into Meg Delp's session. Uh, she had uh, a great tool that she had talked about. Um, it was designed to give your emails a once over for tone, um, because let's face it, words matter. Um, sometimes you think you're getting it all right. Um, you're following all the rules, but that delivery um, might make it so that you miss the mark. Uh, then Shayla Gentry and Emma Jellen um, brought up crucial, a crucial point about the significance of training and the resources that are available at our disposal. Um, to help reshape mindsets and foster open dialogue. And it's all about creating this supportive environment where everyone feels comfortable sharing um, their thoughts. And then let's not forget about Heather Holiday. Um, the insights on the peer support groups and the programs 
um, that she highlighted that PG&E is doing, um, they show how impactful these initiatives can really be at cultivating a sense of community and, and that well-being. Considering the high cost of untreated or poorly treated mental health, it was really compelling to see sessions that focused on, as as Brian mentioned earlier, building a business case for establishing a mentally healthy culture, as well as how employers can articulate a return on investment to mental health programs. This can be a touchy subject for some folks, yet the ability to demonstrate a return on investment can help employers retool their approaches when necessary and help justify the cost of programs to ensure ongoing success. I'm hoping the team will talk a little bit about some of the questions or comments shared by attendees that resonated with you. Jess, I'm hoping that you will kick us off here and then we'll ask Brian to weigh in and Kristen as well. Sure, I'd love to. Um, Aaron Harper's (coughs) presentation noted that for every dollar invested into your mental health program, you should see a $4 return. And if you aren't, that you might need to reevaluate or retool the resources um, that you've selected to see if they're being utilized. And Suzanne Bruyere um, talked about the benefits of the EAP, and Nancy Spangler had offered some great examples of additional metrics that you could track beyond the basic, you know, X appointments were scheduled this year. And she suggested that you could dig deeper by asking, you know, more questions or get more data from the EAPs or your insurance companies. Like she gave some examples of, you know, how many calls, I'm not asking that just how many calls came in to set up appointments, but how many didn't end up scheduling appointment or of those appointments that were scheduled, how many appointments were kept or how many required an additional follow-up call. So there's missed opportunities there and you can, you know, track and get back to kind of capture those missing pieces. And you can ask your insurance companies and networks for wait times, or she noted that the average person takes 10 years to seek help. And if you um, don't have the the network there, they probably, you know, are they going to want to wait that six more months just to get in? Um, So those are all kinds of questions or uh, suggestions that she had to reach out and gather additional info, you know, information on. Yeah, those are great, Jess. Um, And, you know, I also took away a a significant number of notes um, related to measurements. And I think it's important that, you know, we talk about we net with there's a compelling business need. You know, we talk about setting the business case, but we also have a responsibility to demonstrate that the programs that we're investing in and the resources that we're providing are having the return that we're we're anticipating. Um, and you talked about a couple of those, you know, around EAP and health plan. Um, and there are multiple ways, uh, a few of which you mentioned, to look at success in those metric areas. But also, you know, we, we shouldn't uh, shy ourselves away from what we're seeing from a disability and absence management and accommodation perspective, because there are a significant number of metrics that you can get depending on, um, you know, what you're tracking uh, with respect to the conditions your employees are presenting with when they're out on a leave of absence. We know that you don't always get diagnostic information and you don't always need diagnostic information in order, in order to make an accommodation, for example. But many times you need that level of detail for a short or a long-term disability claim. 
And if your uh, vendor is tracking that for you, they generally speaking will provide you with some indications of what are your, uh, your, your top five uh, conditions that are prevalent. And in almost all cases, the majority of industries and employers, one of the top five is mental health. And so it's something to look at and understand that if you're providing resources and you're providing additional resources, is it having an impact on those overall metrics as well? Because it should. And sometimes, it, you know, individuals do need to take time off uh, for their, their conditions so that they can recover. You don't want to shy people away from that opportunity. But the other thing to look at is that, you know, BMEC in 2018 did write a white paper around behavioral health conditions in the workplace. And that included some ways to measure and look at uh, the performance of your disability and absence program as it relates to behavioral health conditions. So I would encourage members to go out and look at that resource. There are just so many resources that we have available that can help, um, help you in measuring the return on your investment for these types of programs. And one other thing that I don't think um, employers do as well of a job with, but I think they can do better. And I'm starting to see some evidence of this in some uh, organizations. And Nancy also spoke to this as well. And that is looking at your organizational level and understanding employee engagement. Because again, if we go back to what I said earlier about building the business case and that um, employees are, are now recognizing that the, their job may be having a negative impact on their, their mental health, it's important for, an, for employers to survey and understand employee engagement at a level that they can use that to, to then demonstrate the health, if you will, of the organization and how well they're supporting individuals' needs when it comes to mental health. And there are a variety of ways to do that. There are Gallup polls, there uh, are general, you know, poll surveys that on employee engagement that can include a question or two that can get down into those specific topics. And so I would encourage employers who are not doing that to do so because the organization, generally speaking, has a more significant impact on an, an individual's mental health than arguably any other thing uh, in, a, in a person's life. And you know, a, another statistic which I found interesting is that 69% um, of workers felt that their manager impacted their mental health as much as their spouse. So that says a lot about the work environment and, uh, and our need to ensure that we're measuring the effects of the work environment on individuals' overall well-being. Yeah, when you mentioned, Brian, the surveys and the, you know, using that to drill in and, and getting that information, um, I know one of our presentations actually linked out for people to be able to access some of those survey questions. Um, so there was, we were just, these presentations were packed with a lot of great resources like that. Um, so I just wanted to mention that as well, but I'm shocked by the, like, the impact of the boss and the the coworkers being equal or greater than that of a spouse. Like we don't think about the way we choose bosses and coworkers the same way as we select a partner in life. So that's not surprising, but it's, it is, wow. I had never heard that before. Um, I am, I think Brian and Jess covered a lot of the great, you know, resources that were provided on the ROI and in the measuring of programs and the the things to look at. And there was a lot covered in the presentation. So 
I don't want to over, you know, overstate that or, or restate it, but just from the overall lead into that question, Heather, that you gave around, you know, it being sometimes uncomfortable to talk about the ROI. I think, in my opinion, I think that's some, that ties back a little bit to the legacy of the mental health conversation and maybe isn't fully representative of where we are with mental health conversations in the workplace now. And what I mean by that is I think we have historically looked at the mental health programs as we are doing this for you out of the kindness of our, you know, corporate hearts. We are helping you with your mental health. So it felt inappropriate or or maybe a little bit icky to also then in the other hand be saying, but let's also measure if we get some good out of this and if it helps us. And I think it's a more balanced and appropriate conversation now. We are recognizing, like I already said earlier, and, and Brian and Jess have touched on as well, but the, you know, shared responsibility and, um, and just the role, the workplace, and to Brian's last point, the the um, co-workers and, and bosses have on someone's mental health. And so it really does need to be fully baked into an organization. This isn't just a, we're so nice, look at us helping you out. It's a, you know, we are all have some responsibility for this and we all have some skin on the game with this. But just like any program we have at an organization, whether it is literally leery about also looking at the business end of these programs because it is important. And I think that helps, again, keep the seat at the table and keep these in the forefront. That's great. Thank you, Kristen. I, I appreciate that. And I think that reference to uh, keeping that seat at the table is really important. Um, so speaking of seats at the table, I think you all attended different roundtable discussions during the conference. And it's always fun to hear about dominant topics of conversation during these roundtable sessions, um, and also hoping that you'll share takeaways from the expert panel. Brian, would you kick us off here, and then we'll ask Kristen and Jess to weigh in? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Thank you. Um, you know, the, the, some of the dominant topics that I was hearing in the roundtable were really around searching for resources that are available, um, and then also asking um, other employers, uh, what they're, what are some of their tactics that they're using to address whatever, whatever the topic that we were discussing in the roundtables? I think one of the things that I heard consistently, um, and it really started when we were talking about compliance, uh, the compliance aspects of mental health um, in, in terms of claims management, and that is, you know, there still is a reluctance by some practitioners to push for asking for appropriate medical information to determine whether an individual needs to be on a leave or whether they can be accommodated, et cetera. And I took a pause when I was hearing some of that and and took a step back. And I was thinking about, well, why is there such a reluctance or um, treading lightly associated with that? And I think that it it, it's part and parcel of what we've been talking about here. And that is 
there's a stigma associated with mental health. You don't want to perpetuate that stigma by engaging with the employee and asking them for additional information. But I think we also need to take a step back and we need to recognize that we're not asking for any information or shouldn't be asking for any information any differently than we would if it were for a non-mental health or cognitive uh, condition. We should be asking for the same types of information, and we shouldn't tread lightly in those particular situations when we need that information to provide the best support and best accommodation for that individual. And to that end, I want to highlight, you know, we have so many resources that are available at DMEC, so many. If you go on to our website and you just search for mental health and you put in at the topic that you're looking for, specifically around asking for certification information on mental health, you will pull up at work articles that have been written by uh, vendors in this space and compliance experts in this space that actually walk you through step by step on some of the things that you should consider, some of the things that you can ask, and some of the things that you can do. If you've ever been to our conferences, like the the mental health, or uh, excuse me, the compliance conference, or even our annual conference, we focus on some of those areas to provide you with some information on how you uh, can ask those questions and how you can engage in that. And similarly, how you can do that in the accommodation process. So I think it's important to take that step back and recognize that there's not only resources that are available for employees that are having a mental health challenge or need mental health resources, but there's also resources that are available to you as a practitioner and DMEC has those for you. So please take time, go out and look at our mental health page look for those resources, search for those resources. I can pretty much guarantee you that you're gonna find what you're looking for. And if you don't find what you're looking for, we also have DMEC communities and DMEC communities is where you can ask other members for their insights into uh, the challenge that you might be experiencing and they can give you some practical uh, advice and direction on, on how to move forward. I love the seeding of all of those resources in there because they do, they tie in so nicely. Um, I will come at this from the perspective of the Ask the Experts panel and what we saw there. Um, we had three experts on our Ask the Experts panel, and I thought that gave a really great, like just broad perspective. Um, we had an accommodation expert from the Job Accommodation Network, or JAN. We had a representative from an employer, and then we had a professional from Cornell University's um, Employment and Disability Program. So across that broad group, I think we were able to address a lot of really great questions. And I, I didn't even see a specific theme that stood out in the Ask the Experts because I think we saw such a breadth of questions. Um, so it was really nice to have the diversity of representation on the panel. Um, I know uh, Melanie from Jan, she got, she fielded a lot of accommodations questions um, just about people really wanting to understand the practical approaches for what she was seeing um, be effective, what she's seen kind of bubble up maybe or, or evolve a little more recently um, around accommodation requests, um, in the mental health space and, and sometimes how those like partnerships work as well. Um, we know from our surveys at DMEC, like our leave management survey that, um, ADA and, and disability management overall is not as outsourced or co-sourced as like the FMLA and other programs like that are. And so it seemed like we had, 
uh, a little bit of interest from people kind of exploring or, or wanting to know a little bit more about what that would look like. We got, uh, you know, a couple of questions around kind of what does that partnership look like if someone, if an employer does outsource their ADA, do they lose control over the accommodation selection and implementation process? And I thought Melanie um, presented a lot of really great insight there because it is, I mean, we kind of jokingly refer to accommodations as, you know, the wild, wild west. And it really kind of is, though, if you think about it, there's just not as much history there uh, as far as um, the prevalence of, you know, the accommodation management administration is really kind of risen up maybe more um, in prevalence in the last several years. Um, and then also just the structures that are provided around it. Um, it's not quite as as formulated as a pro of a process. Um, so I think it was really nice because like what Brian said, sometimes we feel uncomfortable or uncertain asking for information or to know what information we can ask for. Um, and so I, there were some questions around that that I thought were really um, insightful and helpful. And then um, Dr. Briere, Suzanne talked about, you know, in her presentation, she talked quite a bit about EAPs and um, some of the things we can leverage with EAPs. And so she was able to answer a lot of questions around, you know, I think one of the common things that comes up when we talk about EAPs is around utilization or more specifically underutilization in the workplace. Um, so she was able to speak a little bit about that and how to maybe the things we can ask for and push for and how to optimize that. Um, and I think that was also just kind of tying back to those case studies Heather that Heather mentioned earlier too about, you know, we had an employer case study that really has high utilization of their EAP and, and able to talk about how and why they were able to kind of build that out and some of the things that they did to, to kind of help attendees know how to do that. So I think we got that perspective in the, in the Ask the Experts panel. Um, and then finally, we had Jenny Haken as well. And she had a really, a lot of really good insight into the challenges that employers do face in these programs and how she has met those, what her experience has been with those, and how her program is structured to kind of uh, mitigate or, or kind of work around some of the, the challenges. So um, I just, I can't say enough. I love the perspective that we got through that, that grouping of panelists that came together for that Ask the Experts panel. Um, I mean, we were able to just have a full 30 minutes of nonstop questions across that group to get the specific things that our attendees were wondering about answered. And, and I think that those sessions, no matter what the topic is, no matter what conference we have them in, those are always some of the attendee favorites. And I think this was definitely no exception. And Brian and Kristen make it very difficult to follow because they've covered everything. <laughs> or much <laughs> Um, but I, I would just say tools and resources. Um, there were so many available and yeah, the ask the expert panel, um, great questions that were asked. And if we didn't have time during the sessions, we brought them there. So I, I thought that that was a, a great session to have as well. Wonderful. So DMEC has prioritized mental health since its inception and continues to seek ways to help employers engage early and often in compliant and supportive ways. What are a few of the concepts or messages you hope attendees 
took back to their teams to ensure more effective interventions that result in better whole person health. Kristen, let's start with you here, and then we'll go to Jess and and Brian to wrap us up. Great. Thanks. Um, I think if there was only one thing that someone could take away, I hope it's just that there's resources in this space. I think it has been a little less structured from like a, you know, business case perspective, strategy perspective. I think in a lot of cases, mental health programs have, you know, felt a little bit more um, kind of like a soft program and and not as focused on um, some of the strategy and some of the, the those levels um, of the program and the analysis of them. And like any program or anything that has more of a a business approach, a strategic approach, there's typically resources that come along with that. And this is no exception. I just don't know that we've always known how to take that on. Um, Brian mentioned a lot of the great resources that we have at DMEC, you know, on our website and our education offerings. And I think those are are probably underutilized or under recognized by our members. Um, but I, they're so important. And I think that's what I would hope people take away from this is across the presentations, there were a lot of resources and links and, and things provided. Some of them are DMEC, some of them are outside organizations, all are wonderful. We have, um, you know, repositories for mental health resources and tools and and things that people can actually put in their hands and use in a very practical way in assessing their program, in improving their program, or getting a program off the ground, um, or measuring a program. And, and those are things that, you know, we're not alone as we try to kind of put some of that business structure around um, these programs and and what we're doing and the activities we're doing. And I hope that that is a, a takeaway that people have, that there's there are resources out there um, and they can help you along the way and they can guide you along the way. And then um, one other thing that I would just add in is the, you know, we talked some, and I think it was kind of a theme throughout of just that mental health is so much more than what it was previously thought to be. It's more than self-care. It's more than carving out time for a hot bath and a hobby. It is through, it runs through all aspects of what we do and our lives and our workplaces and the workplace, the inherent, you know, parts of the job, the, the stress, the culture, the, you know, demands of the job, as well as the overall, overall culture at the organization and the environment, they all feed into mental health, um, as do other areas in, in someone's life that are outside of the work. Um, and it's not just, you know, carving time out for yourself. It is much more complex than that. Just like any aspect of our health is, and it needs to be approached as such. So I think those are the kind of two big things that I would hope um, an attendee would take away. And Kristen, I like that you talk about resources. That was um, something that stood out to me too. And learn what your company has to offer, but also learn what other companies are out there and what they have to offer and where you can find them. Because like you said, there are so many supports that are out there 
for you. Um, it's just a matter of finding them and utilizing them. So communicate, communicate, communicate. Um, get that information out there. Um, another thing that I took away um, was, um, I think it was Meg, and it was just learn to listen. You know, if someone comes to you, you don't need to solve their world problems. You just, they need someone to listen. So learn to listen. And then remember to take care of you. So that, like I said before, so you, you can't pour from an empty cup. You need to fill your cup too. Yes, those are all excellent takeaways. And really, those are the takeaways that I have. But one takeaway that I want to give is that, you know, if there's anyone that's listening that really feels that in, your, in their role that they can't really make a difference, um, that's absolutely not true. I think we can all make a difference, um, providing compassion in our approach and empathy and caring uh, in the work that we do is just one way and something that every single person can do. Um, the other thing that I want to ensure that, you know, we continue to recognize is that as practitioners, you know, we have that ability, like I talked about earlier, to provide guidance and navigation to individuals, to the resources that are available to them. Um, and I think there's, there's another important statistic that came up during the roundtables from, from one of our attendees, and that was from the Journal of Occupational and Environmental Medicine in 2020, where depression and anxiety were, were shown to both have risk factors for um, and have subsequent outcomes of injuries and illnesses that require a work leave, and that so much that the odds of a work leave within a year are two times higher in individuals with depression or anxiety compared to those without. And I think the most telling, and this is where I think we can make a difference in our profession and providing and, and encouraging individuals to use resources that are available, is that the statistic for the odds of developing a new onset of depression and or anxiety within a year are 4.2 times higher in individuals with a work leave compared to those without. So if you think about the fact that now we're looking at there's a four times higher rate of individuals who have had a work leave who will have new onset depression or anxiety. We have an opportunity to ensure that they're aware of the resources that are available to them. So as they start to identify some needs and maybe some struggles that they'll utilize those resources that are available to them. So those are just a couple of ways that I want to encourage those in our profession to continue to, to help those and help push forward that it's okay to use resources that are available for mental health and that we all need them at one time or another. That's a great point and such um, meaningful data to share there, Brian, and really pull that full circle, the, the shared responsibility that you all have talked about and the focus on that whole person health. Thank you all so much for weighing in here. And DMEC would also like to thank the Marsh McClellan Agency for its sponsorship of the 2024 DMEC Virtual Mental Health Conference. We encourage listeners to check the notes section of this episode for links to the resources the group has mentioned throughout the episode, including the upcoming 2024 DMEC FMLA ADA Employer Compliance Conference, March 25th through 28th in Dallas. Thank you, Heather. Thank, Thank you. you.